This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property, although we are digressing a little bit from that in this week's show. In this week's show we're talking mainly about renting uh, or being a landlord and about uh, tenancy tribunal. We're going to talk a little bit about what's involved in tenancy tribunal when you go to court. We'll look at some rulings that have happened recently which could serve as some warnings for both tenants and property investors about sort of behaviour that uh, one should have around rental properties. If we have time, we'll look at what the market is doing with regards to investors and landlords and whether there will be an amount of people selling uh, due to some tax changes. So to start with, we'll look at the Tenancy Tribunal. And this article by Caroline Williams on stuff.co.nz says... Tenancy Tribunal, how to apply and what to expect in court. Always good to know. It can seem fairly daunting, the idea that you're going to a tenancy tribunal, and there is certainly a process and protocol. The article says, do you have a gripe with your landlord or tenant? If so, you're not alone. Tenancy Tribunal hears 20,000 cases annually and can help settle a dispute between tenants and landlords if communication between the parties breaks down. The Tribunal can help with a raft of matters relating to the tenancy agreement such as bond lodgement, rent increases, healthy home standards, repairs, damage, eviction notices and property inspections. Now only landlords and tenants can actually apply to the Tenancy Tribunal. Issues between flatmates are a matter for Disputes Tribunal. So here's what you can expect during the application process and hearing. How much does it cost? The party applying to the Tribunal must pay $20.44, an amount that hasn't changed for a long time, payable during the application process. If you win your case, you may ask the Tribunal to order the other party to reimburse you. So how do I apply? To apply online, you'll need a login with RealMe, a government initiative that allows you to verify your identity online for free. The tribunal also requires an email address, an electronic version of your tenancy agreement and supporting documents, and if you have one, your bond number. While tenancy services recommends people apply online, it's possible to apply on paper so long as you have the most up-to-date version of the tribunal application to use. Tribunal application form, that is. So what should I expect in the hearing? So in court, both sides will get to explain their side of the disagreement, starting with the applicant. So if it's a tenant applying against a landlord, they get to explain first. Present the facts briefly and clearly. You might find it useful to have everything written down and summarised beforehand, the Tenancy Services website recommends. Witnesses may also be called to give evidence either at the hearing or via an affidavit or a letter to the court. The adjudicator may ask questions and will make a decision by drawing from the Residential Tenancies Act. 
So usually a decision will be made on the day. However, the adjudicator can also reserve their decision until later if the matter is complicated. So both parties get to have a say. But it's there is a process and a protocol to follow where, like I say, the applicant goes first. Um, the adjudicator will ask them any questions. The um, defendant, so to speak, goes next. The adjudicator will ask them any questions. Then she'll go. he or she, the adjudicator, will go back to the applicant, ask if there's any other matters and vice versa until she has as much information or he has much information as required to make a decision. So where will the decision be published? Well, most tenancy tribunal decisions will be published online and available for about three years. Both parties may ask for name suppression, which the tribunal will grant unless the adjudicator believes the publication of the name is justified on the grounds of public interest due to their conduct. For example, repeatedly poorly behaved tenants or law-breaking landlords. So what if I disagree with the tribunal decision? The decision must be obeyed by both parties, but can be appealed at a rehearing if you believe the decision was substantially wrong or a miscarriage of justice has occurred. However, you can't apply for a rehearing just because you don't like the decision. There has to be some really valid reason. You don't have long either. You only have until five days after the decision to apply for a rehearing, and the court will decide whether it's necessary. You can also appeal the condition within 10 days at the district court, and in some circumstances, a cost of $200. Here, a judge will either dismiss the appeal, order a hearing at the tribunal, or cancel the tribunal's order and make another order that the tribunal could have made. So there we go. There's a little bit to it. And so now we're going to look a little bit at some decisions and what decisions were made after tenants and landlords followed this process around explanation. So this article from January the 9th on stuff says, Tenants not allowed to end fixed term in dispute over dog. So tenants who wanted to get out of their fixed term tenancy early because they were not able to find a home for their dog have had their application dismissed by the Tenancy Tribunal. Fiona Gwynn and Geoffrey Ryan went to the Tenancy Tribunal seeking an early release from their 12-month tenancy of a property in Glasswick Roads near the in Ashburton, which was due to finish in September of this year. Their landlord, Ashburton Real Estate, sought rent arrears and rent to December 15th last year. The pair owned a cat and a small dog, but their tenancy agreement prohibited pets. They initially rehomed their pets. The dog went to a family member who then moved to Invercargill and could not take the animal with her. The tenants took back the dog and tried to negotiate with the owner of the property. The owner required an additional $100 a week in rent. The adjudicator said whether this was reasonable or not for the tribunal to decide on this application, but the suggestion of a rent increase of $100 per week was generally unwise as and would not have been upheld if that issue were before the tribunal. But that wasn't talked about on the day. The, tr- the tenants decided to leave the property and asked to be released from their fixed term. They left in early November. The landlord did not replace them until December the 16th and said tenants the pair found earlier were not suitable. The tribunal adjudicator noted that the fixed-term tenancy agreements could be reduced when there was an unforeseen change in someone's circumstances and when there would be severe hardship if the term was not reduced, which would be greater than the hardship to the other party if it was reduced. So here, the tenants knew and accepted that the landlord would not permit pets. They rehomed their pets in order to comply with the terms of the contract 
and the fact that the circumstances of the family member who took the dog changed is not an unforeseen change in circumstances sufficient to meet the statutory or, or legal test. There may be several reasons why a rehoming situation might not work out. The possibility of that happening was foreseeable. The adjudicator said the tenants raised other issues with the way the property was presented, the lack of repairs and maintenance, but said these were not relevant to the application nor for the basis of the tenant's application. So in other words, they weren't included in what anyone had asked for. They do go on to say that if the tenants consider that the landlord breached its responsibilities in respect of repairs and maintenance, that would require a separate application as a remedy would be compensation or exemplary damages, not a reduction of the term of the tenancy. Now, a landlord did not have to explain why other tenants were not suitable, the adjudicator said. So the tribunal ruled that tenants would be responsible for the tenancy until the new occupants took over, and they were ordered to pay their former landlord just a little under $3,200 in rent arrears and the filing fee reimbursed. So that was found in favour of the owner, that if you uh, bring a pet into the property, you can end a tenancy um, you, sorry, let me say that again. If you bring a pet into a property, the owner um, uh, has a decision whether to um, decide to have that pet. Um, and if a dog's in there illegally, of course, that's a different matter. But what we're talking about here is a tenant's wanting to uh, stop the tenancy, which the owner didn't want to because they would be significantly out of pocket. It does sound like everyone tried to find new tenants, but uh, again... That was a uh, potentially foreseeable situation and it's not a change in circumstances that tribunal would generally rule on. Uh, they would normally look at much more major situations like loss of job or something like that. This article on goodreturns.co.nz is by Salish Chand, a partner of property accountancy firm GRA and the headline is Tribunal Decisions Interfering with Landlord Rents. So a recent newspaper article revealing the Tenancy Tribunal had ordered a landlord to lower the rent on their property as worrying evidence of unnecessary interference that must be stopped, according to Silas Shand, a partner at that accountancy firm. I don't necessarily agree, but let's have a look at what they say. The tenants successfully argued to the tribunal the weekly rent of $730 for her three-bedroom property in West Auckland's Ranui was above market rent by a substantial amount. Her evidence included Ranui market rent gathered from tenancy services bond data which found $580 was the median rent and $645 was the upper rent. So remember the rent that they were being asked to pay was $730. The adjudicator ordered the woman's landlord to reduce the rent to $610 per week. Chand says this interference by the tribunal is creeping socialism, which I don't think it is. I'd be more worried about uh, the government making changes widespread to, to rent increases. In his book, The Theory of Moral Sentiments, famous 18th century philosopher and economist Adam Smith proposed the idea of the invisible hand, where markets actually regulate themselves due to competition, supply and demand and self-interest. For example, if a landlord asks for rent that is way above market, tenants will not lease the property in the first place. It is self-limiting and the landlord will need to lower an unreasonably high rent in order to attract a tenant. He says dictating what rents landlords must charge is tampering with the free market and because free markets are naturally self-regulating, they don't need help from government organisations in order to function properly. 
government interference is not just unnecessary, it's actually counterproductive because it stifles supply signals. For example, premium rents indicating high demand, which leads to new supply. Chand is aware of one landlord who challenged the right of the tribunal to reduce the rent he charged. He says the adjudicator mentioned in his findings the rent level was correct and appropriate at the beginning of a tenancy but became unfair to the tenant when the market cooled and more properties become available. Now that's um, that's a pretty <laughs> mean decision, that one. How, how have we got to a position where the tribunal thinks it's appropriate to intervene like this? We need to appeal every such adjudication on principle and get New Zealand back to free market principles. This is just more evidence of a dangerously socialist government thinking it knows best, condoning actions that are in fact damaging in the grand scheme of things. We need to reject the nanny state socialism, centralised authoritarianism and get New Zealand going again, according to Chand. Now, I don't agree uh, with that article. There absolutely needs to be a mechanism, I believe, to make sure that rents being charged are fair and in line with the market. Uh, but I do appreciate the thoughts that um, when something is agreed upon by both parties, it actually is or should be a binding agreement. But but that's where I guess I'm contradicting myself. But what I'm trying to say is that uh, if someone signs um, a contract and very quickly, say they've moved into an area, quickly finds out that they've paid way too much, there should be, uh, I believe, the ability to apply to Tenancy Tribunal, which there currently is, to have a fair rent established. What worries me more is uh, with regards to the government making changes to what owners can charge, um, and that takes away from the the uh, the market. No, I mean that in a large way, like um, uh, rent freezes and so forth. This article from New Zealand Herald .co.nz by Leighton Keith says landlords need to be deterred from profiting by putting tenants at risk, tribunal rules. Colleen Crystal was awarded $7,650 compensation by the Tenancy Tribunal after she rented an illegal unit built without resource consent which posed a fire risk from O'Neill Developers Limited. Colleen Crystal thought she'd found a long-term home which is completely unaware of fire safety concerns with her flat which had been illegally built without consent. Her tenancy in the Hinman Springs unit began in October 2020 and was initially set down for one year, but problems surfaced later that month when the Hurunui District Council contacted her landlord, O'Neill Developers Limited. However, Crystal wasn't made aware of these issues until more than a year later, which resulted in her making a complaint to the Tenancy Tribunal. She claimed she'd been rented an unlawful residential premise, a gas hod had not been installed properly, and her bond had not been lodged within 23 working days. She sought $10,000 of compensation and exemplary damages. So Crystal, who rented the property for 85 weeks and paying a total of just under $23,000 in rent, was recently awarded a total of just under $7,700 in compensation and for the reimbursement of her filing fee by the tribunal following this hearing in November of last year. A partial reimbursement of the rent paid was appropriate to ensure the landlord did not unfairly profit from the unlawful premises, it said. This is also a public interest in deterring landlords from benefiting from unlawful residential premises where failure to ensure compliance with statutory requirements creates a risk to the tenant's safety, particularly that fire safety. That's a a really scary one. President of the New Zealand Property Investors Federation, Sue Harrison, agreed rental properties needed to be up to code and not pose any dangers to the occupants. 
They should be up to standard and compliant, Harrison told NZME. She said the organisation would assist landlords meeting the compliance criteria. The self-contained flat on Scarborough Terrace had been constructed by converting a larger unit, one of two households on the property, into two separate dwellings, but was done without resource or building consent. So there's a lesson for you. Company Director Richard O'Neill was advised by the council at the end of October 2020 it was unaware the property was being used as multiple units without consent being obtained to split the dwelling and any alterations may breach the district plan. So the tribunal's decision said the council then followed up with the landlord at numerous times during the next 12 months but no real progress was made to obtain either resource consent or a certificate of acceptance which is the retrospective version of that in respect to the building work. The landlord did not attempt to obtain professional advice from architects but was not otherwise proactive in trying to resolve issues with the council to ensure compliance. So Crystal only became aware of the problems in November 10th, 2021 when O'Neill texted advising her there was an issue with the unit. He asked her not to let anyone into the flat after he'd been contacted by the council wanting to arrange a time for the compliance officer to do a site visit. Council then issued a notice to fix on November 25th and directed the unit was no longer to be occupied. Clarification was sought with the landlord about when the flat had to be vacated and the council reiterated there were fire safety concerns. In March 2022, the council followed up on the notice to fix which required Crystal to vacate immediately, remember, as there was building work which did not comply with the Building Act or Building Code. So she left the flat on May 20, 2022. The landlord obtained retrospective resource consent for a third dwelling on the site in September 2022. There's no evidence the fire safety concerns had been resolved at the tribunal's hearing. The tribunal found the premises could not be lawfully occupied during Crystal's tenancy. The landlord did not take all reasonable steps to ensure there was no legal impediment to the tenant's occupation of the premises and did not comply with all the Building Act requirements. And those failures have contributed to the unlawful occupation. The interesting thing if you're doing renovations at home is this next part as well. It says, while the tribunal noted the unit was modern and tidy and the landlord claimed it had been renovated to a high standard, the proper consent process had not been followed, which led to the fire safety concerns. And while the tribunal found the landlord had committed an unlawful act by not lodging the bond within the required time frame, a very fine margin accepted it was an oversight and not deliberate intentional failure and declined the exemplary damages. So that's, uh, that's a bit of an outcome then. And you might remember on the show a little while ago, we looked at uh, the landlord called Mouldy Order. And this company was pay, ordered to pay $201,000 last year after an investigation found tenants had to deal with bloodstained mattresses, needles, and what they call a rat room. The... Tenancy Tribunal documents show during 2022, Māori Order was ordered to pay Lynn or a company representing Lynn, that's the person who bought the application of the High Court, over $25,000 for rent arrears, building repairs, rubbish removal, meth testing and water rates. Um, so the decisions led to, you might recall, several decisions where people were living in really below standard properties and uh, the... Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment Tenancy Compliance and Investigations team successfully took these three cases to the Tenancy Tribunal on behalf of 18 tenants across five properties and that was the order to pay $201,000.
in a follow-up article on stuff.co.nz, none of the tenants owed money by the Auckland landlord Māori Order Limited have been paid, despite the Tenancy Tribunal ordering the company to pay out $201,000. So what they've done is they've moved themselves into liquidation, which is, uh, yeah, I won't uh, mention how I feel about that, but it's just a real real shame. And uh, and so that's uh, meant that none of those tenants are going to get recompense for problems that were done. Uh, even though the decisions were were fairly, uh, you know, were really large and and in their favour. And here's another example of uh, somebody who should not be a landlord, in my opinion. This article by stuff.co.nz, and it's also a good argument why all landlords should be regulated, uh, and as and not just uh, the companies. So this says, landlord owing over $11,000 to tenants says she doesn't need to know the law. A Christchurch landlord ignored insulation rules, failed to lodge the bond or install smoke alarms, and for three years refused to give her tenants the code for the front door lock. Robin Moffat, who manages multiple Christchurch tenancies, was last year ordered by the Tenancy Tribunal to pay her Linwood tenants more than $11,000 in compensation and damages, and to to date they've only received $200. Moffat told Stuff just because she was a landlord did not mean she was obligated to know the rules. However, her appeal to quash the tribunal's decision was rejected in December not only because the application was several weeks late, but because the adjudicator believed there were no real grounds for it. Remember, this is a a rehearing, and we talked about that earlier in the show. The tribunal heard Moffat was either remarkably unaware of her responsibilities or broke tenancy law when it suited her. According to a tribunal ruling made in June, Moffat was found to have deliberately broken tenancy laws by secretly refusing to lodge a bond, not insulating her rental to legal requirements, and um, the egregious breach of not having working smoke alarms despite the tenants asking multiple times for them to be installed. So these people should not be landlords. Particularly when they say this sort of thing. Moffat told Stuff that if the tenants were so worried, why didn't they put in a smoke alarm? She said despite being a landlord, she was not obligated to know the law and thought the tenants were just after her money. However, the tenants who were granted name suppression initially didn't want any money. The original application to the tribunal, heard in April of 2022, requested no damages, only to admonish the landlord, according to the adjudicator. After a discussion at the hearing, the tenants amended the application to include claims for compensation and exemplary damages. They moved out of the property in November, three and a half years after the tenancy began. They said they stayed for so long due to a competitive market, uh, rental market, which is a shame, uh, because, and that's reality. Sometimes people don't want to rock the boat in case they can't find another home. So they paid three fifty a week for a two-bedroom house, and the tribunal's final award of over $11,000 included $1,000 for not lodging the bond and $4,000 for refusing to install smoke alarms. There was a $300 award for refusing to share the code to the front door lock, uh, which meant in in essence, that the tenants had to use an alternate entrance. The adjudicator heard Moffat breached obligations to meet the healthy home standards and falsified a statement in the 2019 Tenants Agreement with Tenants which said there was insulation under the floor, the ceiling and walls. Moffat admitted to the adjudicator she knew it wasn't completely insulated but claimed she verbally told the tenants it would be resolved. But according to the June 2022 Healthy Home Report, the ceiling insulation remained non-compliant. At the hearing, she admitted it was unlikely the walls had insulation. 
In person, she told stuff that just because her rental was non-compliant did not mean it wasn't healthy. She says, I gave them a house, a beautiful house. It wasn't cold and horrible. It's better than here, she said, referring to her own home. <laughs> so the only lesson she learned was don't trust your friends or the tenancy tribunal, which she considered corrupt. This is just incredible. She said despite having four ongoing tenancy arrangements and being on the pension, she could not afford to pay more than $100 per week. They, the tenant said they learnt to document every interaction with their landlord because she contradicted herself and lied so much. Documenting any conversations with the landlord is always well worth doing. Moffat claimed to have a report which proved her home was healthy but couldn't find it. On her dining table was a smoke alarm which she had removed in order to change the batteries. So Cheryl Berryman, president of the Canterbury Property Investors Association, said landlords absolutely need to know the law. They may have to be up with requirements, even if the rules are a bit challenging. Most landlords are responsible, but unfortunately there are always going to be those who aren't. Every year, as I mentioned earlier in the show, 20,000 cases uh, go up before the court. So, um, yeah, it's just a, it's just amazing that people can think that way. And uh, really, when these articles sometimes make the media the Tenancy Compliant Unit can investigate as they did with Mouldy Order and the results there can be quite dramatic indeed. Finally, a very short article um, or summary. A Wellington couple was stuck with a $20,000 rent bill after moving out. Recent first home buyers Ruth McFadden and Elliot Laws tried to end their fixed term lease early but were denied and instead they paid more than $20,000 in rent at the Wilton rental between July and late November of last year. That's despite moving into their first home in July and the rental sitting empty. The property management company told us they'd never seen the market so bad, Laws said, but that wasn't reason enough for us to break our lease. The couple gave notice in May with the rental first listed the same month However, new tenants weren't found until almost seven months later, about a week before the lease ended in early December. Financially, paying a mortgage at the same time was difficult, McFadden said. Mentally, it was more difficult. I was angry a lot of the time and just couldn't sleep. She described how the couple had bargained with the landlord, suggesting rent be lowered by $30 a week, offering to pay the difference until the end of the lease. In other words, re-renting at the lower rent and they'll pay the difference. The landlord said wanted them to continue contributing uh, even $30 a week for a year after the replacement tenants were found, so I don't know where that logic is. We recognised that we signed a contract and we wanted to work with them to find a mutual solution, Laws said. The landlord was unwilling and inflexible. The owners of the home, Anthony and Jennifer Hayward, uh, declined requests for an interview. So that's being... So, so the... Comprende is the company managing the rental on behalf of the Haywoods. And when McFadden and Laws told one of its property managers about the house in April, that person recommended a long settlement period as rents were typically taking six to eight weeks to relet at that stage, even though this time frame was not a certainty. The company later recorded as, as calling the rental market a significant low period, particularly for top-end tenancies. So to cut a long story short, they ended up having to continue to pay the rent Again, because uh, buying a house, a bit like the story about the getting a dog, later is not sufficient uh, grounds to end a tenancy and be under financial pressure because ultimately you had the choice whether to buy or not to buy. So the, there's also a word of warning about fixed terms, that if you sign up for a fixed term, you've signed up for a particular period of time, you are responsible to continue to pay rent even after you move out, uh, even 
uh, until uh, until new tenants are found, that is, and that's where tenants cannot uh, unreasonably um, deny people, but they can reasonably. So if they find out things about the new tenants and they're not up to scratch or the market's very slow, you can be in a position of continually um, having to pay rent. And that's just something to be aware of. Hopefully that doesn't happen to you. Hopefully your renting experience is wonderful, whether you're a landlord or tenant. And thank you so much for listening here on Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Ngā Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. Uh, you can find this where all good podcasts are found. Just look for uh, Greg Watson, Property Matters. And catch up in a week's time. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.